It's that time for the Jack Riccardi Show, and here we go with Jack Riccardi. Here he is. I, I came into the radio station again this morning. This is two weeks in a row. Freaks everybody out. It's like it's like the dead have risen when I show up physically at the radio station. I, I just we had a client meeting and I was just in there very briefly in and out. But uh, and I'm not doing it for the effect, but I'm starting to enjoy the effect. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking maybe like you know like a weekly surprise. I can't keep doing it on Thursday though because then they'll figure it out. So I got to have like a surprise. You know, no pattern to it, right? Well, Jack, you're coming into the radio station, and just for perspective, I was getting a flat tire repaired. So, there you go. Well, I mean, did that work out okay? It did. Amazing. Okay. I mean, under 30 minutes, I was like, wow. I had a stressed out drive on the way to work this morning. I'm, yeah. I'm like seeing one tire that's like got half its air. Oh, like, yeah. It's just get a terrible there. feeling. Just get me Do you there. Have, does your car have the thing where it tells you on the dashboard? That yeah. You got, yeah. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. When we didn't know, we just drove. Now, when that's yeah. on, it's like you're, it's like you're bring, you know, so, you know it's, like, it's like you're Tom Cruise and you're bringing in that, that wounded fighter jet. Yep. It's all shot up and, you know, you, you're not sure if you're going to crash into the deck or, or, you know, splash it or what. I mean, it's just, it, maybe we didn't need to know, you know? Well, ignorance is bliss or it could leave you stranded. So I don't know. Yeah, I know. I guess it's probably better that we, that we have them. All right. Well, there's a lot going on. Um, uh, and, and it's hard to even know where to start today. So let me start with this. Um, they finally, the, the Uvalde school board last night, finally uh, fired the uh, police chief, Pete Arredondo. Um, and, and, you know, I, I said yesterday, and, and I, do, I, I do understand there are processes and protocols and stuff. But I also understand that, you know, it's a new school year. You've, you've got a, a very small community. Um, they really need to, they needed to, they needed to be more expeditious than they have been. This whole thing has taken way too much time, in my opinion, anyway. And um, it was a unanimous vote. It said, uh, one of the stories I read said he didn't attend the meeting for fear of his safety, which I don't even, I'm trying very hard to be respectful here, but uh, you get the irony of that, right? He, he didn't go to the meeting about his termination uh, for fear of his safety. His attorney did submit a long letter saying they're doing everything wrong and he hasn't been given a fair chance and uh, they need to reinstate him immediately. And, um, like, I get that he's not, that this guy, this isn't, this whole tragedy was not, was not the fault of the police chief, but it, it, you have to start somewhere unpacking the failures and the breakdowns. Uh, and w- whenever we talk about this, somebody always says, well, isn't isn't it the fault of the shooter? Of, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, but that's literally a dead end. And e- even if he was alive and we were going to put him on trial, okay, which seems to very seldom happen with school shooters, but if if they live and they go to trial, that doesn't fix the failures and the system breakdowns that went on on the day of the shooting. You know, that would be a separate track, and that that track isn't even going to happen here. So uh, I think it's a good start. I think there's a lot more to do. Um, One of the stories that I read said that they had some some of the children from that school have... um, 
uh, had spoken and had written had read comments into the record last night, which must have been very powerful stuff. I know some of the parents spoke uh, as well. It's interesting that the first decision they made was, well, we're not going to use that building anymore. You've heard that, right? They're going to they're going to replace the school. And I agree that they need to do that, but that that's that's a typical political move, right? Like that's easy to do. Like that doesn't take any that's not controversial, it doesn't take a lot of thought, it's not creative. Uh, hopefully we're going to see some courage and some sensitivity uh because it's been in short supply from the official response here. Speaking of um sensitivity, there was also a story today. I don't know if you heard this or not. Um the widow of Kobe Bryant uh, won a lawsuit last night. Uh, she sued the county of Los Angeles uh, because the first responders at the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and several other people, some of the first responders took photos with the bodies. They took selfies with the bodies in the wreckage. And uh, she and, uh, I guess, the husband of a woman who was on the the helicopter uh, was her co-plaintiff, and they sued, and they won. And they had to pass a law in California after the helicopter crash uh, emphasizing that you are not to take selfies with people that are dead in the wreckage of a car or a plane crash. I guess I'm... <laughs> Is this what we've come to? I mean, I can't even imagine. In what, in what universe would you think to do that? Who thinks to do that? Take pictures with dead people. Anyway, they did it, so they won the lawsuit, which is good. Speaking of uh, the courts, we're uh, apparently tomorrow at noon Eastern. We're going to get the unsealed affidavit, but it's going to be the heavily redacted unsealed affidavit for the Mar-a-Lago search. So when the feds went to the judge to get the permission to go to Mar-a-Lago, this affidavit would ordinarily give us insight into what they were looking for, what what crimes they think have been committed, or what documents they believe were so sensitive that they shouldn't be there or weren't uh, correctly in the possession of Trump. But everybody is saying that the the affidavit will be so redacted that it will be just blocks of black ink, like, you know, entire pages where all the words are blacked out. And um, we're going to talk to David Spunt, the outstanding D.C. correspondent for Fox News, about this uh, coming up here in about, uh, I think, about 20 minutes. Obviously, it, it kind of feels now like, kind of feels like we're waiting for Al Capone's vault to open, right? Like, okay, big deal. There's going to be this big re- revelation there's going to be nothing in it, nothing we can read. And I, I, I still don't understand, and I'm not a lawyer, and I admit that. I, I, I do think there must be a way to give we the people, and the judge said this is extraordinary and historic and, and the public has a, a need to know. We need to know something about what 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 is up. Because there's a famous saying in the law that you investigate crimes, not people. You're supposed to investigate crimes, not people. And I, I get not wanting to reveal the, the identities of witnesses. I get not wanting to reveal national security secrets. But you're investigating a crime or crimes. Okay, get, give us, put some meat on the bones. The cynicism is growing on this thing.
We'll talk about that. And David Spunt will join us here uh, in a little while. Um, just as we predicted yesterday, Nancy Pelosi 2022 has never met Nancy Pelosi 2021. She doesn't just change her face every year. She changes her positions every year. So 2022 Pelosi is A-OK with canceling student loan debt. Uh, after the White House came out and announced yesterday this cancellation program, remember we played the clip of Pelosi saying last summer, it was just about a year ago, uh, people think presidents can do this, and they can't. It has to go through Congress. But now uh, she says it's a strong move. Just remember, just remember, when Trump was president, if he bypassed Pelosi, she had, I mean, her face fell off, right? I mean, it was like, remember her tearing up the, the, the speech? I mean, these people. What are we going to do with them, right? And I keep thinking about, and we're going to talk some more about the student loan thing, because I keep thinking about um, how this is really, people are angry about this, but this is really just part of something much bigger. We are not doing education right, if I can say it that way. That's kind of an awkwardly put-together sentence. I guess that's proof we're not doing education right. Jack can't talk. But, I mean, we're not. We're not. None of this is right. So the reason you have this thing with all these people owing all this money is because you have such a, a an insistence, such a push. We practically twist people's arms behind their back and put a gun to their head telling them to go to college. And college is not the best or only preparation for life. College should be a tool that you take out of the toolbox for a specific aspiration, for a specific plan. But I look, for example, at what I do for a living, and I can honestly tell you, you could do this without majoring in it or studying it in college. And there's people going to college right now and getting degrees in things like journalism or, or you know, broadcasting or uh, digital journalism or whatever it is. And, and I'm telling you, you, you really, you could learn it more apprenticing or, or observing than you'd ever learn paying somebody 40 grand a year. It's obscene. And, and, and everything we're doing here, everywhere you look, how we're doing it, what we're prioritizing, the amount of money we're spending, the outcomes we're getting. I'm not just talking about college, K through 12. You know, what's the average? We're spending like 18000 per student per year. It, that's a scandal. If college tuitions are a scandal, what we're paying for public education versus what's coming out of the schools, the incredibly low literacy rates, th- this, is, this is all broken. So I, I get that people are mad about the forgiveness, and you should be, but don't stop there because this is part of a bigger I guess you'd say a bigger system or a bigger approach that I think is flawed. This was a moment from uh, President Biden's announcement yesterday about the uh, student loan forgiveness. Uh, This is, I mean, you know, he, he, any one of these kinds of utterances would bring any other presidency to a dead stop, but he gets away with this just about every day. Take a listen, cut number four. Many of you had to leave school because of financial strain was much too high. About a third of the borrowers have debt but no degree, and worst of both worlds, debt and no degree. 
The burden is especially heavy on black and Hispanic borrowers who on average have less family wealth to pay for it. There's no, they don't own their homes to borrow against to be able to pay for college. Blacks and Hispanics don't own homes. Do you get that? Wait, you do? Shh, don't tell anyone. You're not supposed to. Every, he just, he has like the, the most negative view of the lives of black people. If black people live the way Joe Biden thinks they do, they, it'd be the worst thing ever. Be grateful you're not living the life Joe Biden thinks you're living. Anyway, remember I talked about uh, a blogger named Iowa Hawk who, um, he's a pretty smart guy. He's got a great sense of humor, but he's also very insightful. And he was, uh, he did this whole, uh, thread about the um, student loan bailout. Um, and he started with a quote from Lawrence Tribe, who's a professor of law at Harvard. You've probably seen him on the cable stations. He, um, he was praising this on Twitter. Good news for thousands of my former students, says Harvard professor Lawrence Tribe. I'm grateful on their behalf. And um, Iowa Hawk was kind of joking I'm glad we're addressing the plight of America's most disadvantaged community, Harvard Law graduates. Um, And and then he makes an interesting point. You know, so that's funny, but then he makes an interesting point, which is that actually um, Harvard Law graduates are not the people defaulting on loans. Harvard has a 1% federal student loan default rate. And this is interesting. We've talked a lot about Ivy League education and the privilege of of people getting an Ivy League education and now they're going to get their loans forgiven, but he makes the point that they're not the people that need it. They very seldom default on their loans. Relatively few people that go to an Ivy League school are the ones groaning under all this debt. He says the rogues gallery of colleges with insane federal loan default rates, we're talking about well over 50% of the loans are in default, are for-profit barber and cosmetology schools. Some of them are here in Texas. Some of the worst ones are here in Texas. And in Texas, you have to do 1,500 hours to be licensed by the state to be a barber, which, if you think about it, is pretty crazy. I mean, I got a haircut today. It's not surgery. It's a haircut, you know? He says they prey on naive young people and should be blackballed for more federal student loans. So the worst default cases are the schools we're not even talking about, for-profit proprietary trade schools. And then he says the uh, bottom of the barrel is also colleges with federal student loan default rates of 40% and higher, and they're preying on naive young people. Um then he moves on to public colleges and votech schools in dep- economically depressed areas. He says, I do have some sympathy with people saddled with student loans in those situations. So what he's saying is, it's not who you think or what you think. And the real issue is that we're giving loans to people who are not like, the, 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 the numbers just don't lie. They're not likely to be able to pay them back. He writes, it's not atypical for 18-year-old community college students to rack up five-figure debt, drop out in the first year, and then have that debt hanging over their head without the benefit of even an associate's diploma. A reasonable solution would be to provide free tuition for community colleges with oversight. And then he points out that when you get to four-year institutions, 
they have fairly minimal default rates. Um, and so his point is, there may be people who are helped by this who are poor or are struggling, but they were lured into taking on this debt to attend a word I can't use on the radio, for-profit college, on the premise that it was the ticket to a lucrative career in makeup or hairstyling. Um, and that's not good. That's not right. If, we're, if we care about people and what happens to them, if we're trying to help them, Iowa Hawks' point is we would make a list of schools with the highest default rates and we would let everybody know that. And then if you consider yourself a conservative or a libertarian... Why does Texas require 1,500 minimum hours to be a barber? And guess who lobbies for those requirements? These schools. So, yes, be angry at Joe Biden, be angry at the politicians, but there's a grift going on here. There's a huge grift going on here, and and there's a lot of people in on it. And by the way, they're loving the fact that if you're only angry at Biden, they're loving that. Because that, that means you won't pay any attention to what they're doing. You won't notice their part in this. So we're not making the, the right distinction. Instead of the distinction of, of income cut off, we should be taking a look at... The, I, I would start with the premise that if you went into debt to get a diploma and you can't get a job, you were sold something that wasn't what they told you it would be. And go from there. Work on it from that end. But see, that's more complicated. That would take longer. That doesn't give the instant political payoff that they want, the Democrats want, in a midterm election year. So they go with this move instead. Um, and tomorrow is the deadline for the unsealing of the redacted affidavit. That is a mouthful. Uh, but what is what will this actually mean? Will this mean anything to you and me? Uh, on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, uh, Fox News Channel's Washington, D.C. correspondent David Spunt is joining us. And welcome back, David Spunt. Good to have you with us. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I was saying earlier, this feels like the opening of Al Capone's vault. There, there, might, there might not be anything in it, right? Well, typically, first of all, an affidavit, because people throw around words left and right. So to explain to people who may not know what an affidavit is, an affidavit is a document, usually eight to 10, sometimes maybe 15 pages that contains the probable cause for issuing for a judge to issue a search warrant. It would it would give a judge a reason to say, okay, you can have a search warrant. You can go into this property because these are the potential crimes that are being committed here. It would have a lot of information. In this case, the affidavit, like any other affidavit, has a lot of information, but we're not going to see the full affidavit tomorrow. We will see the redacted affidavit, which is being proposed by the Justice Department, and the Justice Department pretty much doesn't want to release much at all, and that's typical. To be clear, that is typical for everyone listening. Mm -hmm. Republican administrations, Democrat administrations, it's just an investigative tool, and they don't want to tip their hat and put their entire roadmap out there mm -hmm. for people to see. Um, so, yes, an affidavit will be released tomorrow in this case, but it's possible you're going to see the name, you know, Mar-a-Lago, the address of Mar-a-Lago, Palm Beach, Florida, with the zip code and a lot of black ink. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
I guess I would. My answer to that would be: This judge also said, and said at great length, that this is a historic case and unusual, perhaps unprecedented. There's a, there's a public interest, and I'm just trying to understand why you couldn't put more meat on the bone without naming suspects, without revealing investigatory techniques, without uh, impugning the security arrangements at Mar-a-Lago. It seems like there's room between nothing and giving away the, the farm. Exactly, and that's the argument that many are making, is that there needs to be some kind of transparency here. I mean, I think some people would say every little bit of this needs to be released. Others would say nothing needs to be released. But there is always a sweet spot in the middle. And as you rightly point out, Judge Reinhardt, one week ago today, actually, a week ago, uh, it was Thursday last week, in West Palm Beach, in his courtroom, was making that case that this is a great public interest and this is unprecedented and historical and the public has a right to know some things. Over the weekend, he thought about it, and on Monday he put out an order and said, yes, it is great historical significance, it's important, but he, he did put more um, arguments in that court order that way of, you know, in the, in the uh, camp of sealing it and keeping it sealed. The Department of Justice, federal prosecutors, uh, federal agents' names are in there, especially the federal agents that were inside Mar-a-Lago, there's a concern about the safety of law enforcement. There have been a few attacks on law enforcement over the past few weeks, specifically federal law enforcement. So the judge is being extra careful here. But as you mentioned, this is an unprecedented case, and there is a lot of pressure on him to do something. And, and he came out, and he didn't even make a change. Normally we would have thought, okay, the judge would say, government, these are your redactions. I instead of the 30 redactions you want, I want to go with 23 redactions. I'm just giving an example here. Right. He just accepted the government's redactions and said, okay, great, and we will release this tomorrow. So we'll see what we get tomorrow. So they already know what they're going to release, and we just have to wait till tomorrow. But we also get to wonder in this whole case if we'll start hearing leaks of things, because that's what's been the pattern, right? Uh, when, when Merrick Garland came out and said in that news conference, uh, the things he said, which were very limited and, and sort of harsh-sounding, then there was a spate of leaks to the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera. So I wonder if that won't happen here, too. Yeah, I mean, it's always possible. People talk in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, that's the, the biggest truth of, of Washington is people like to talk, and there are a lot of contacts and a lot of sources. And, and um, you know, I'm, I, I don't believe Merrick Garland is doing that. Merrick Garland is someone who's very careful. He's very by the book. He's he's almost um, he's getting a lot more comfortable in front of the camera. But he was a you know he was a federal judge for twenty something years, and he is he's not used to this kind of attention and this these kind of press conferences. And this is a real uh, real position that he is in the Department of Justice is in right now. Uh, because he's trying to appease both sides. So, uh, sure, I don't think he's the one that's going out there. But, um, yeah, there are questions about where people are getting this information. Um, everybody has different contacts and different sources. Um, but I think the bottom line is people, while they will get some form of an affidavit, and when I say tomorrow, I want to be clear, it could it could be now. It could be in 30 seconds. It's any time until tomorrow at oh, noon. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, usually federal prosecutors, and like I said, this has been the way it's been for decades, they wait until the last possible minute, but they already know their reaction. Yeah. So they could do it a little bit earlier. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned up until 
that time and uh, I'm sure long after. David Spunt, Fox News, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Of course. Take care. All right. Four, you as well. 440 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, I, you know, when they asked President Biden at the uh, college loan announcement about um, did he have advance notice of the raid on Mar-a-Lago, and Biden said, quote, I didn't have any advance notice. None, zero, not one single bit. I had a thought, and I can't prove this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Just, just a theory, okay? I've noticed with Biden that you can kind of tell what he wants to do and what he's made to do and what he wants to be associated with and what he doesn't by how much he struggles saying it. See, I don't think if if Mar if the Mar-a-Lago raid was popular, if people were like, "Yeah, bring that bastard down," then I think Joe Biden, knowing the braggadocia of Joe Biden, I think he'd be, you know, he'd be owning it. I think his reluctance to associate with it is not, oh, he's remaining above the fray and the Justice Department is independent. Nobody really believes that. Some people say it, but they don't really believe it. Nobody really believes that that, that the federal government is not weaponized against its political opponents, whichever party is in power. So, basically, he's not owning an unpopular move. And when they say, we've got the backs of the, the federal agents, and when Merrick Garland comes out and says, we're, you know, I won't, I won't tolerate any, really, I don't think they, the, the people that he's talking about should take very much confidence in that. They will throw you away like they did Liz Cheney. <laughs> the, the more unpopular, the more stinky this gets, the more there will be scapegoats and uh, lower echelon people will get blamed. And that, that's why I think President Biden is saying that he doesn't, he, oh, I, I knew nothing about it. Because if it was popular, he'd want us to think it was, it was his idea, you know. He'd, he'd made a, a sketch on a napkin of, of the floor plan of Mar-a-Lago and told him where to find the documents. And that, that's how he is. He brags about stuff to the point where it almost becomes, you know, uh, ludicrous. 210-599-5555. So your thoughts about, all of that. And um, I want to play this for you um, because this is very powerful. You, you, you've heard of Julio Rosas on Town Hall, and we've had him on the show, and he's the guy that reported from the George Floyd riots two summers ago, and he does some great investigative journalism. He does some great interviews. He, he, he's a pretty cool guy. He visited with a lady named uh, Shana Chappelle, whose son was Lance Corporal Kareem Nakui, who was one of the 13 Americans killed in the ISIS-K attack at the Afghanistan, at the uh, uh, Kabul airport during Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan. So he's talking to her about um, the whole experience of uh, finding out about his death, which is very poignant. I've posted the whole interview on my Facebook page, Jack Riccardi on Facebook. But then she talks about the ex experience of meeting 
Biden and and Jill Biden at Dover when they were uh, bringing the uh, the uh, caskets uh, off the plane, and you may remember that's the famous or infamous moment when Biden was checking his watch. Well, uh, Shana Chappelle was right in the midst of that, right there with the president and the first lady. And, and, and I want you to hear, you can hear the whole interview on my Facebook page, but I want you to hear this. Um, this is uh, m- meeting with and talking with uh, Biden on that day, cut number six. The meeting with Biden was, I, I don't even know if the dude is all there. Uh, when I stay space with them, I made sure to make eye, con- make eye contact with them. I remember his wife, she went to shake my hand and I moved my, I didn't give her my hand. I just looked at her and then I looked at Biden and I told him, I don't actually want to talk to you. And he said, okay, then. And he went to turn to walk away. And I said, but I'm going to out of respect for my son. My son is Lance Corporal Cream McCree. And as soon as I started, I told him, I, I was angry. So I was doing the mommy whisper. Um, Cause you know, when you're <laughs> that was coming out and there was tears coming out because I was frustrated, angry, and I'm hurt that I don't have my son. And I'm looking at the man that I feel is responsible for my son's death. And um, as, as soon as I started saying, you know, I'm never gonna get to hug my son again. I'm never gonna see him. I'm never gonna hear his laugh. He interrupted me and started talking about his son, about his son. And I remember looking at him and going, what are you doing? And then I said something along the line, this isn't about your son, this is about my son. And um, I told him he had no business talking about his son. And then I started again, uh, talking about my son and then he said I just wanted to let you know how I feel at that point now I'm even more angry because he said he brought up his son because he just wanted to let me know how he feels I probably sound like I didn't care that he lost a kid and I didn't mean for it to sound that way it's his son died of cancer so they had time to be there spend time with him tell him goodbye my son died because of the very man that I was talking to and then he ended up turning his back on me to walk away and that's when I yelled, um, hey, Biden, and he turned around. And I said, you know, my son's blood is on your hands, right? And I said, all 13, their blood is on your hands. And he turned his back on me again and waved his hand behind his back and walked away. As if, like, like the way he makes it seem is he looks at our, our uh, boys as if they're disposable and replaceable. That's how I feel he looks at them. I want to play you more of this um, and get your your thoughts about it. Um, This is, you know, it's been about a year. um, And one of the things she says in the interview that's very powerful is that people aren't saying their names. Remember that? Say their name, say their names, say their name. People are not saying the names of the 13. They're not. uh, And and she makes the point, and I don't know if it's true. it, It sounds like it might be. She says that he has never, President Biden, the commander in chief, has never said their names. I, I, I have not heard that. If he, if he has said them, I missed it. Um, and I, I wonder in our history, um, if that is not fairly extraordinary, um, because the Democrat, Republican, whether you voted for them or not, it's sort of a basic presidential uh, function, right? It should come from the heart, but if nothing else, it's a basic uh, function to, um, honor and name and and at least um e- even in a bungled withdrawal which this clearly was acknowledged that the the men and women on the ground were doing thing they were doing their job 
Maybe the people that sent them there or set them up or put them in that particular situation didn't do their job, but they were doing their job, their jobs. So it's been about a year uh, when not only we learned as a country about the uh, bomb attack at Kabul, but these families got the worst news and had the worst days of their lives. And the lady you're hearing is named Shanna Chappelle. She lives in Norco, California. She lost her son, Lance Corporal Kareem Nakui, and she lost even more. So let's go back to the interview with uh, Julio Rosas, where she's talking about the ceremony at Dover and President Biden checking his watch, cut number seven. He kept checking his watch. So it was more than one time? Oh, yeah. It, matter of fact, I think it was probably the fifth time or third time I seen him do it. I had made the comment, what's he keep checking for? Is it nap time? He checked it again. I said, if he keeps checking his watch, I'm going to end up saying something because um, I was feeling very disrespected. Our kids are being brought off this plane in metal boxes. We're excited that our kids are home, but it's a different type of excitement. It's just that finally we have our kids home, we can lay them to rest. Not the type of excitement, cool, we're gonna get to hug our kid and tell him how much we miss him now. It was our kids were being brought home in metal boxes and this man is looking at his watch like he has someplace better to be or something more important to do. And I just felt so disrespected. Like, it was an unbelievable feeling. And so even on the way home, um, when we left to come back home, I, I became very angry. Uh, by the time I got home, I had posted a message on Facebook um, and then Facebook and Instagram shut down my accounts. It went viral that that had happened. It even made it to the news. So they gave me back my account saying it was an accident, um, which is not because my original Instagram account, they deleted again in April. I never gave it back. I had to make a new one um, because I started speaking out more again because um, I want people to know, like I, I run into people who've never even heard about what happened in Kabul. And I explained to them, well, that's because this administration is in fear if too many people find out the truth about Kabul, um, it could make people maybe rise up. And they don't want that. They have people how they want them right now, fearful, doing what they want them to do. It's, it's actually disgusting. I'm disgusted with our country right now. So Julio Rosas goes to California to talk to her right before he does this interview. Shana has another son named Dakota, and she explains that Dakota had been really struggling with Kareem's death, missing him, and talking about how he wanted to be with Kareem. And she took that to mean, you know, someday we'll be together. She, she says, I was grieving. I didn't realize what was happening to Dakota. Dakota, you may remember this story. We talked about it. Took his own life at a uh, memorial for Kareem, I think a day or two before this interview, and she talks about that with Julio Rosas, and here's more of her conversation. If I could be face-to-face with him right now, I would let him know that he's a coward. I'd let him know what a horrible job he is doing. He's a failure. He's always been a failure in everything that he does. He always will be a failure. I would call him a traitor because he's also a traitor. I would let him know what a very disrespectful human being he is. Thirteen kids gave up their lives for this country he couldn't even say their names now i don't want him saying my kid's name i don't want my kid's name ever coming out of that mouth um it's i would let him know that he showed what a coward he was when he immediately made sure that everything about kapul disappeared and 
Ed wasn't talked about anymore because he doesn't want people to know. He's just, he's a failure. He's destroying our country. He is destroying everything about our country. He's destroying lives and our country. And it's sad because we're all allowing it. We can all do something about it. But there's just too many people that are living in fear right now. And I don't know why, because there's nothing I would fear of this administration. How can you fear a bunch of cowards? Hmm. The whole interview is on my Facebook page. If you want to check it out with Shana Chappelle, God bless her and her family. And, and Julio Rosas is a, a rock star. He's a great, great interviewer and very devoted to these kinds of stories, sees them through. Already uh, delved into a lot here, and we have the poll question, uh, agree or disagree with the Uvalde firing of Chief Arredondo. We're talking about that. Uh, you heard the uh, Gold Star mother, uh, Shana Chappelle, and saying some very, very powerful uh, things and I think speaking from the heart, um, and we'll get a reaction to that as well. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, and then David Sponge joining us to talk about the um, redacted, we think heavily redacted affidavit in the uh, Mar-a-Lago search that that could come out any time now, but 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 has to come out by tomorrow. Um, you know, it's funny we're we're in a place right now with Donald Trump that we have been at many times before right you 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 could see the pattern in your sleep you can see it with your eyes closed uh it's always this is it that they've got him now uh this is going to destroy the trump presidency or in this case now this is going to destroy the trump uh 2.0 and um it, the pattern is always a lot of uh, hype early on, you know, a lot of heated talk and and hinting and 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 suggesting that uh, you're about to hear something that's going to blow you away, and um, and then it fizzles. It doesn't deliver. He, Trump himself, makes the point often that he he thinks he's the most investigated president in history. I don't know. He may be. He seems like the most investigated politician of the moment. I can't think of anybody who's had more, who's been investigated more and scrutinized more and had people in his own uh, administration and even in his own circle, um, you know, testify against him or or give evidence. Um, and so here we have this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, this, this raid on Mar-a-Lago, and it was a huge story. And um, wall-to-wall coverage. And along with that, a lot of promises and and a lot of jubilation, right? A lot of uh, people dancing on what they believed was Trump's uh, political grave. And then it seemed like at some point, and it's like the memo went out, well, wait a minute, they really better have something. Or... This is going to look terrible. This is why I think Joe Biden is claiming he had no advance notice of it. I'm not saying you can take this to the bank, but Biden didn't get to be in politics for 48 years or 50 years or whatever it's been by associating himself with um, with losers and losing causes, right? He knows when to unhitch his you know wagon from the horse. And what if this turns out to be uh, well, maybe a process crime or some mishandling of documents. And again, like I said yesterday, I don't know who packs these documents, but I find it very hard to believe that Trump was walking around dropping papers into boxes 
in the final days of his presidency, like you and I would walk around our house and I'm going to put a lamp in this box and I'm going to put my T-shirt collection in that box and stuff like that. So now it seems like um, something about this just seems wrong. And we're in the same place we've been many times before where the hype is starting to fizzle. And even this revelation of this affidavit tomorrow they're throwing all kinds of cold water on it. Well, it's going to be heavily redacted. You're not going to be able to see anything. Um, I just wonder if this winds up being like like the impeachments were, like the Mueller report was, it becomes kind of an open wound that just never heals. And Trump supporters are are furious and remain furious and become more cynical and more cynical and maybe even paranoid. And the the Democratic base isn't happy either, right? I mean, impeachment and the Mueller report, those were big disappointments to them. Uh, and uh, it's it's just like a, like a wound that never heals. And I go back to what I said at the start of the show, you're supposed to investigate crimes, not people. This whole thing feels like the investigation of a person, like we're going to keep looking at him and we're going to find something. That's not how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to start with the premise that a crime has been committed, specifically. But it seems like Donald Trump's existence or political viability is the crime. And I'm not saying, by the way, that I've concluded he could not possibly have done anything wrong. I'm sure that this guy has done things you're not supposed to do. He certainly has said things you're not supposed to say. The proof is they keep promising it and they keep not delivering on it. I feel like we're being prepared for a, well, uh, it's not going to be what you thought it was, and we're done. Because that's what the Mueller report was, right? 210-599-5555. And, and, and of course, I'm not the first person to say this. If that's true, if that is what happens here, um, they're not... They're not weakening him. <laughs> they're, they're strengthening him. Or they're at least strengthening the case for somebody like him. I mean, you hear people say it, right? Now you're starting to hear people say, well, I'm, I'm kind of over him, but boy, we really need somebody like him to go in there and, and really drain the swamp this time, really shake it up this time. So I, I don't know what their intentions are. I mean, I, have, I think I have a pretty good idea. But they aren't achieving them. They're actually, they seem to be achieving, they're stepping on rakes. And um, it seems like they're achieving the opposite. 210-599-5555. And again, um, the story could change at any time, but that's just how it looks right now. It, 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 it's resembling, it's following in the heavily trodden footsteps of all these other previous, we've got him now. I think we played a montage one time. Don, you remember it, right? The walls are closing in. Remember that? It was all these different news people saying the same phrases, the walls are closing in on Trump, the walls are closing in, uh, this could be it. And um, you, you, have, you have been promised this so many times. Whether you are eagerly anticipating it or dreading it, um, it just it, it feels like a rerun. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. All right, so that's some of what's... Uh, going on. 
Uh, we're going to talk some more about the uh, student loan forgiveness thing. They really, they really seem to have no idea. I've seen interviews now with the Secretary of Education, um, Miguel Cardona. I watched. Uh, I, I can't even play it for you. It's so bad. The 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 interplay between Peter Ducey from Fox and uh, Corinne Jean Pierre. It's it's just awful. He keeps asking her, well, how, you know, who's paying for it? And she doesn't have that answer in her binder, so she's just randomly saying other things. And uh, they they clearly just want to get through the midterms. And whatever, you know, stench attaches to this or whatever um, unintended con- consequences flow from it, uh, they'll deal with those next year. This was just to get through the midterms. So we're going to talk about that too. John is calling in about Mar-a-Lago, 210-599-5555 on the Jack Riccardi Show. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, sir. Say, hey, I was just calling in uh, based upon your, your comments during this segment with regards to Trump possibly being the most investigated or or at least from the appearance uh ex-president or or politician there is but my thought process on this and this is just food for thought um you know that that messaging that's put out there it it goes both ways it not only goes against his his potential opposition but it also goes against the person that's in question so that that, that's some of that some of that is definitely self-inflicted so somebody who's only casually following this would think well he must have done something they wouldn't keep investigating him well, to me, it goes against really a, a person's uh, integrity and their their, their character. So mm-hmm. you know, you put out what you put out there, you're going to get back in return. And so right. some of this, like like I said, uh, he's, we we all have to take a look in a mirror at some time and say, hey, and, and question if we're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, if it mm-hmm. doesn't pass the smell test. So uh, I think you know, hey, they're opportunistics and they're hopping on it, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, some of that responsibility or that. But John, does, doesn't this feel like? Um, doesn't this feel like we're just going to keep investigating him until we find something? And w- w- would any of us be able? I mean, they could go into your house. They could go into my house. We don't live in Mar-a-Lago or anything like it. But I mean, do, do, should the system work? We're going to keep looking at John, and eventually we'll find something. No, I, I understand. I'm not saying it's it's right what they're doing. I'm just saying. I, I know. In my in my, uh, I'm just saying in my thought process, all the politicians are opportunistic, and they've they've seen a way in and they've taken it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I okay. think to be honest, to be quite honest with you, Republican, De- Democrat, or otherwise, uh, had Trump Trump had that leverage. I think he would do the same thing because. So, I, but that's my that's my point. I mean, how can we how can how can this country go on if that's what we do? It, it, well, it's it looks it's a very sad state of condition that we're in our country. All right. John, Not thank yet. you. I appreciate the call. No, I, I listen. I I, th- I think I do understand what he's saying, and I agree. I I just don't um, I don't know that this is how we should respond to an election we're unhappy with. Well, we'll find something. Lord knows, I have a lot of suspicions about Biden. Okay, it looks to me like. Uh, he's made a lot of money off foreign deals that his son has been up to no good. I, you know, 10% for the big guy or whatever it was. But I mean, um, I would not ask you to take that on faith. That should be investigated and it should be investigated with the same zeal that Trump has been investigated in. 
you know, I have to laugh. One of the things people always bring up about Trump is, well, when he was a businessman, he had the Trump, uh, the Trump stakes and Trump University and stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, some of his businesses seemed shady. I mean, they seemed shaky and suspect. I get that. But this is the federal government that loans money to people that have no business borrowing it to get degrees that are not going to lead to a career (laughs) and now announces it's transferring. It's not forgiving the debt. It's transferring the debt. The colleges still get paid. If it was forgiving the debt, the colleges would be out the money. Sorry, you're not getting it. It's not what's happening. So who who gets to be the, the, the moral who who occupies the moral high ground in this tableau, right? I mean the people that are saying we have to investigate Trump are not being investigated. And they're doing things that are ever more predatory than what they've accused him of doing in the past. Just pointing that out. Uh, deadline of uh, noon Eastern tomorrow for the DOJ to release the redacted affidavit that probably isn't going to tell us anything about what they were looking for uh, and how they made the case to the judge. And I get that that we're in the middle of an investigation, but nothing about this investigation is even typical of an investigation. And um, I think the judge recognized that when he said, look, it's, it's unprecedented and historic, and we'll see what we find out, if anything. Um, something tells me we'll learn more from leaks. You know, a high source said, highly placed source said, then we will from this affidavit tomorrow. Brian is on the radio, 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? I love KTSA, man, because we're awesome. I just wanted to say that, you know, that last I one guess you had on earlier, you said he was worried about our FBI agent's safety. What about the safety of our justices? These people are complete hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They they did nothing to protect the Supreme Court justices when there were crazies outside their house. Um, I, I think you can very easily you, you don't have no one no one is asking right now, right? No one in the public is asking right now for the names of the FBI agents that went into Mar-a-Lago. We want to know the names of the people that sent them. We want to know the names of the people that are orchestrating what appears to be a um, you know a witch hunt. And I, I'm not interested in the little guy. I don't want to know the names of the FBI agents. I, people like you and me aren't going to go pick it outside their house anyway. I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in the security arrangements at Mar-a-Lago. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, compromise the the security there. I'm not interested in compromising national security. Although I would question if you're going to tell me it has been compromised or it has been put in jeopardy. I think that means you have to tell me. In what way or how? Those are the things I think people are waiting to hear. You cannot put the American people off with, sorry, we can't tell you anything about this. You'll just have to trust us. Maybe in 1950 you could do that, but not in 2022. Sean is on KTSA. Sean, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. How are you doing? Good, sir. How are you? I'm all right. I, uh, I'm... Just watching all this and, and and seeing it over the last six years that they've been after Trump, it's it's almost like he's Bugs Bunny or Roadrunner, and they keep dropping anvils on their heads trying to get him. And 
it's just crazy. Uh, you know, the more the more they look at him, the more they research him, the more they investigate him, all that, the, the higher his integrity seems to appear, even though he, uh, he, he says stuff and is a goof that way. But uh, they haven't dug anything up that, that's been able to stick. It's kind of like Wiley Coyote dropping the anvil on his head every time he tries to get Roadrunner. I think people are starting to figure out, too, that the real dangers to our democracy are not presidents, because presidents come and go, right? They're, they're in office for a minute. Absolutely. The real danger to Absolutely. our democracy are people that are in the government and never leave. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And somebody has got to clean it up, whether it's Trump or DeSantis. Uh, I'll take either one of them if they can go in and finish the job. I mean... You know, DeSantis wants to throw, uh, you know, Fashi across the Delaware. I think they throw the whole bunch. So, yeah, anyway, I that's all you. I had to say other than come out for some barbecue in Luling. It's the center of the universe as far as good ribs go. Where, where would you recommend? City Market. City Market? Luling. I've heard of it. Luling I want to go there. City Market. Yeah, they okay. have the best ribs. I've been hearing about that that's for years. Really i got to do it. All right, Sean. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Appreciate the call. They hired a new uh, fourth grade teacher at one of the elementary schools. Well, they hired her, and now they've had to let her go uh, because she made a, a a video about how she built her classroom as a non-white classroom. I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, is it painted in a lot of different colors? <laughs> no. Um, so it's weird because even as she's describing it, it's almost like she knows she's dooming herself in doing it. Why do these wackos brag about the wacko stuff they're doing? You'd think they try to get away with it on the QT. Every one of these stories is the same. They make a video, they put it on their socials, people react, the school district has to take action. So here she is explaining, I don't know her name, here she is explaining the beauty of her non-white classroom. you got to listen to this. So for the first time in my life, I'm going to be teaching at a majority white school. And I'm kind of interested to see how um, students and parents react to my classroom or if they even notice anything about it um, because it's built for non-white students. Um, and what I mean by that is like if you look around and you interact with some of the materials I have, you'll you'll notice that there's like no white kids represented in that. Um, so just on like that that very first level of multicultural education. And I don't think like my new students will mind, but you know, not a single white face there. Same with my coloring pages. I have a big stack of coloring pages that students can use, and not a single one with a person on it depicts a white person or character. Because um, I just kept looking for, for pages for them that they'd, they'd relate to. Um, and then the only Disney princesses I have are Mulan and Moana, because they're some of my favorites. And coincidentally, they are not white. Um, then oh, another really? thing is my classroom library. Of course, literature is kind of dominated by straight, cis, white men, so there is a good deal of that in my um, 
in my books, but it is overpowered now from all the books that I've been purchasing to add on to my library that depict a lot of diverse peoples, um, whether that's people of color or I have like books on non-binary, trans, um, otherwise LGBTQ characters. Um, so there's just not a lot of adherence to the status quo on just that like base level of my classroom. So I'm kind of wondering if I feel like some parents might oh, might have something to say about that. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. If my experience with posh white parents oh. <laughs> in the past holds true for this year, we'll see. Uh, are you posh? Apparently, I'm posh and cis, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, I have a. I'm raising my hand. You can't see it because it's radio. I'm raising my hand because I have a question. Um, it appears that she's white. So what is she doing in the room, or does she not? Is she not in the room? Does she teach the? Does she teach the class from from out in the hallway? Because she says she scrubbed the room of white faces, but she is white. The school district says that the uh, school is eighty six percent white. I don't know how uh, that that doesn't even seem to matter to me, but for what it's worth, she's gone out of her way. She's very proud of it. She says, "I wonder if they'll notice." Well, she's. She's making sure they notice that there are no white faces. Um, if you announced that you were excluding any other kind of person, we would all recognize that as wrong. If a teacher said, I'm going to systematically never recognize that there's a black person, never recognize a Native American person, never recognize an Asian person, we would all immediately recognize that that was wrong. We say, why are you doing that? So, I'm obviously they're going to deal with her and what have you, but how are we? How are we making people like this? You know, you're not born like this. Don't tell me there isn't critical race theory in the training and education of the departments of education at our colleges and universities. By the way, that's where you have to worry about it the most. The, the, the CRT in your kid's classroom is the end of the line, so to speak. The, the real problem is that it's baked into the training. It's, it's pressed and branded into the thinking of the ranks of, of new teachers that are you know pushed out into the world every year. Somebody's made her like this. And um, the district says they're investigating it. Um, they say that um, the remarks made by the teacher are, quote, very disconcerting, and she's been placed on leave while the district investigates the matter. You know, I was thinking, too, today, um, where would we be right now had we not had the distance learning fiasco of 2020 to 2022? That's when so many people got the window into what's happening in public education. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. The distance learning and the fact that you could walk into the kitchen and hear your kid's lesson or see what they were being taught or how they were being taught, that was revolutionary. That turned the entire discussion about education and what we're doing on its ear. And then 
all of this that's flowed from that, parents going to meetings, people running for school boards, it's driven by, it started with distance learning, and it's kept alive by these teachers that are making these videos. You almost want to think that, I'm probably overthinking it, but it almost seems like, they almost seem like um, like saboteurs to their own cause, right? Like if the goal is to indoctrinate kids about race, don't talk about how you're indoctrinating kids about race. Don't make a video explaining it. Don't promote the fact. Don't go out of your way to insult and, and slander the posh white parents. So she's, I guess she's on leave or she's been suspended or uh, whatever. Uh, what do you think about that? 210-599-5555. You know, it's all interconnected. We have an education system that is trailing much of the world in what it produces K through 12. So we're paying through the nose but getting terrible results. It seems like we're teaching a lot of stuff that's not germane to real life. We're um, sending messages that are destructive. So along with reading, writing, arithmetic, we're, we're baking in these incredibly destructive ideas about race and other people and envying and, and hating people that are different from you and hating capitalism and hating democracy and hating your own country and mistrusting each other and your parents. Oh, yeah, don't tell your parents how you feel about sex. God forbid you talk to them about it. Then we get on to college, and the college... Uh, everybody that works in a college will tell you students come in every year, they're not ready. It's all remedial stuff the first year. Shocking illiteracy, shocking lack of basic skills, can't take notes, can't write a paper. Uh, we're putting them in college. They're faltering, failing, floundering, maybe dropping out or switching majors or switching schools, all, all of which means what? Among other things, it's going to take longer and it's therefore going to be more student debt. Oh, now we're going to forgive the debt, but we're not going to fix any of the things that led to that point. We're not, we're not addressing any of the... Re- so all this crushing student debt that the politicians are talking about, which is a real thing, we're not talking about how we got there. I mean, the whole thing is a fail. And don't take offense if you're a teacher. I, I, I get what you're trying to do, and your motives are perhaps wonderful. And if they are, I admire you, and I appreciate you, and I love education, and I loved, I loved my teachers, and I loved the schools I went to, all of them. And I love learning. I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. I love libraries. I love books. I love documentaries. But it's time to take a look at the whole thing, not just the forgiving student loans part of it, isn't it? Do you think so? 210 599 55. I mean, I have to laugh when people talk about, um, uh, you know, how can you be against student loan forgiveness? How can you be for, how can you be in favor of the, of the grift, the scam that got people into that? So forgive me if I don't agree with your remedy for it, but that's a speck compared to the, the, the incredible scandal that we're running on kids and young adults and families 
for the first 18 to 22 years of their life. And you look around the world, and we're being lapped by so many other countries in education. Instead of writing off debt, we should be demanding more for the money we've spent. Shouldn't we? I mean, somebody said to me one time, and I think it's probably true, your parents, our parents, probably knew more when they finished high school than a lot of young people do today when they finish college. It's probably true. I mean, they knew what were at the time the skills they needed, financial math, handwriting. They knew American history. They knew civics. They could speak in complete sentences. They could um, learn what basic skills they weren't learning at home, and you learned a lot more at home. We've, we've, really, we've really regressed in the product. But by all means, let's, let's write off those student loans right before the midterms, right? That's, that'll, that'll do it. That's like putting a fresh coat of paint on the side of a house that's on fire. Agree or disagree with Uvalde firing Chief Arredondo? Apparently he's going to fight it. Um, I don't know if he's going to fight it on, like, the process, like he didn't do it right, or if his lawyers have convinced him that um, he, he, did, he did a good job. I, you know what I think is probably going to happen, and I think this would have happened anyway? Um, I will bet you anything somebody is advising him, because this is the new way we do everything. When you are obviously at fault, when you have screwed up, or when you have been caught red-handed, you have to be the victim, right? So the strategy will be, this poor man, how could we have put him in this situation? How could we have left him <clears throat> so unprepared, un- under-equipped, the radios? He's, you know, he's heart... That's what they're going to say. He's heartbroken. He, You know, I would remind you, and I don't know him, and I'm not trying to... Uh, launch an ad hominem attack on him. I'm just saying I think this is what they will probably counsel him to do. I don't know if he'll do it. But the 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 the, the spin will be um you know, he he could have done so much more. He's trained, he's a professional, but he just didn't have what he needed. And yet I remember and you do stuff that's come out about how he's in the hallway trying to negotiate with the guy, the, the killer, long after there's been numerous killings and kids are calling 911. We know there's been a massacre. And he's out in the hallway saying, are there kids in there with you? We can still work this out. I mean, good grief. 210-599-5555. So we're talking about that on the poll question. We're talking about the uh, student loan Cancellation. Yeah, the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's really, it's okay to be angry about it. I'm angry about it. We're going to get a lot more angry about it. But we're going to need to be able to jump up to the 10,000-foot mark and see how all of this, this is part of a much bigger quilt of of failure. Um, 
we are not teaching the right things. We're not emphasizing the right things. And again, I, I know my case is not representative or typical, but I'll just tell you, in, in my case, for me, I've had a career doing what I love, done it for 37, almost 38 years. I did go to college and I got a journalism degree, but that was really not preparatory for what I'm doing. The, the, the greatest vehicle of learning was essentially apprenticeship and experience. We need to reorient education around the idea that if you're into something, if you're interested in something, a field, a profession, as a young person, we need to get you into that, in that environment, in that workplace, with someone who's good at it. That's how people used to learn trades, but also that's how people used to learn the law. Before there was a uh, a more formalized way of, of accredited law schools and bar exams, um, a lot of the finest lawyers this country ever produced um, did not go to law school. They studied the law. They got they borrowed books. They went to libraries, and then they apprenticed with a lawyer. And that word sounds kind of quaint and old fashioned, but these are the things we need to ask ourselves about. Not just what do we do with student loan debt, but why do we have so much of it? And why do we have it in the hands of people that aren't even working, aren't even doing what they studied to do? Tomas is on KTSA. Tomas, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I just had a comment about the student loan situation. I'm a, I'm 23 years old. I'm a college student. Uh, I have my own little apartment that I pay for. My parents have paid for my college, and I'm very blessed about that. But uh, my opinion about the whole student loan forgiveness thing is I just think it's extremely hypocritical, especially coming from a party that claims to stand for equity and equality and everyone gets the same opportunity, but only a select group of people are going to able are going to be able to reap the benefits from uh, the student loan forgiveness. And then even a massive amount more of people are going to feel the consequences. Right. Our progeny is going to put the consequences, and right. I think it's such—it's almost—it's like essentially evil, in my opinion. Like, it's just—it's so superficial, and it's all about getting reelected. It's not actually about that party having care for the people or for young people. Like, they don't really want to see us succeed. They just want to make us feel like we're cared about, and that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of politics now. We love you. We care about you. No one's ever going to love you like your parents did, Tomas. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Hope you'll call again. I, I think that um, when we as parents say, I'm going to help or I'm going to pay, um, if you think about it, and I'm saying this as a parent, and my daughter is a senior, so she's about to go into this funnel of higher education. Look, when we say that, we are not rational actors, right? We love our children so much that um, my my approach, I'll be honest, my approach to her higher education probably makes me a hypocrite because I just want her to, to get what she is, is hoping to get and do what she's hoping to do, and I want the best for her, and I would, I would give my left arm and my right leg and whatever to do that. But that's not really rational. That's love. That's parental love. Rationally, we have to think about this whole system rationally and say, look, is, is, the, is the massive transference of wealth 
really getting us anywhere. With the, with the amount of debt that we're talking about, which in turn hints at the amount of money that's been spent, we should be the nation of geniuses. We should be the, we should be brimming with talent and ability and, and employable skills. And, and I mean, we are, this is a, an amazing country. But I think if you're honest, you'll admit or agree that our education system is not producing at the level that many European and Asian countries are producing. You meet people that are products of the education system and clearly are missing some pieces. There is an incredible amount of bias which distorts people's worldview. So we're putting people into the world that that think crazy things about freedom or free speech or the Second Amendment or capitalism. Um, that debt figure that the politicians are throwing around is a hint that we have gone very, very far down some very wrong roads. Um, remember we were talking about uh, the 10 and the the, yeah. the 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 thing with California highways? That's and right. I was saying it kind of sounded cool to me, like I wish we had the 281 or the the 410. So uh, John uh, wrote to me uh, uh, last night, one of our smart listeners, John, big brain guy, love him. He says, long before the freeways in California had numbers, they had names. Riverside Freeway, Hollywood Freeway, etc. Some had one name going east and a different name going west. Didn't know that. When the numbers were assigned, the the stuck around. The Long Beach Freeway became the 710 Freeway. That's why they say the the. Okay. Here he says, if the highway always had a number like I-10, the the wasn't pre-existing and therefore wouldn't have been used. So about when did this start? Did you get that narrowed down? I don't know. Yeah. John, if you're listening, we need another email. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're the research department. All right. So speaking of history, um, if you know anything about the history of movies, and it's a fascinating thing, we associate movie making with California now, oh, Hollywood, you know, the movie studios. But in, in the earliest days of movie making, movies were literally made everywhere. They were made wherever creative people came together. They were made wherever the money was. And a lot of movies were made in New York because the earliest actors and actresses were stars of the stage. So there'd be movies in New York or Boston or Hartford because there was a big, uh, you know, I guess you would say um, theatrical uh, scene in those places. And what eventually drew the movie industry to California was things like good weather, meaning you could film outside year-round, a lot of available land, cheap uh, labor and cheap real estate at the time, and, and that built up an industry. And now, in more recent years, movie making is again kind of, spreading out it's it's again common to see movies that are made all over the place and in fact it's interesting a lot of movies that are set in or you know where the story is set in america are made in canada and again the landscape the terrain is similar but i started thinking about this because texas has an incredible roster of movies that were either made here or are set here or are about Texas in some way. They don't have to have Texas in the name. But, like, here's one that has all of that. Here's a movie that has um, Texas in the name. It's set here. 
the uh, stars, some of the stars in the movie are from here. And um, this movie, by the way, is, is 40 years old this year. The best little whorehouse in Texas. So you know how hard this is for me to say. I love you. Will you marry me? Earl, I've loved you since I was 16 years old, but I've thought about this for a long time. And as much as I'd love for it to work, I know deep down in my heart it ain't never going to be. Did you hear what I said? I did, darling, but it's going to always be just like it is. There just ain't no way in this world it can work. You could make it work. Just have to give it a chance. If I should stay well I would only be in so that, that gave us um, that incredible song that later Whitney Houston had a big hit with but Dolly Parton did the album they did a Broadway musical she's in the movie so what is the best Texas movie your vote 210-599-5555 I know you could name a lot but give me one what is the best Texas movie. It can be any of those things. It can it can reference Texas, be set here, uh, be about Texans, feature Texans. Best Texas movie, 210-599-5555. One that I always think of, one that, that for me um, epitomizes this, is No Country for Old Men. And I think we have a scene from No Country for Old Men. Coming up very What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss. Sir? The most you ever lost on a coin toss. I don't know, I couldn't say. Call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. And it's either heads or tails. You have to say, call it. Well, look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You stand to win everything, call it. All right. Heads, then. Well done. Don't put it in your pocket, sir. Don't put it in your pocket. It's your lucky water. <laughs> um, also a great book. All right, what would be at your vote for best Texas movie? 210-599-5555. You can also email me, jack at ktsa.com. There's so many to choose from, I know. Pick one if you can. Um, let's start with uh, start with John on KTSA. John, good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, this is Curtis. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Hi, Alamo. Curtis. The Alamo. The Alamo. Absolutely. Which included yeah, you can't a, think of Texas without the Alamo. <laughs> you can't you can't have Texas without the Alamo, and you can't have the movie The Alamo without Ricky Ware, who was in the Alamo. Really, Ricky Ware? Oh, Trey tells this story all the time. If you listen to Trey Ware in the morning, you'll eventually hear it. He he brings it up frequently, and uh, something they're very proud of in the Ware family is that Ricky Ware had a small part and got to know John Wayne. I think we have a. I think Don, we have a scene from the Alamo, don't we? See if we can roll that right here. Have one of these cigars. I brought them all the way from New Orleans. Were you going to tell my Tennesseans that a good many men, sound men all, had a 
want to ease the suffering of the people in these parts? Or were you going to tell them that Steve Austin, Houston, and others, and you too, Travis, had planned to declare for a republic, to declare this the Republic of Texas? Were you going to tell them that, Travis? I hadn't thought this was generally known. Well, it isn't yet. Republic. I like the sound of the word. It means people can live free, talk free. Some words give you a feeling. Republic is one of those words that makes me tighten the throat. Hmm. All right, 210-599-5555. A lot of John Wayne on my list. I would not only say the Alamo, I would say Red River. All right. This weekend feels like it should be Labor Day weekend, but that's next weekend. So, um, Right now, Texas is, I mean, you, Texas is a big state, but it seems like it's made an even bigger contribution to the movies, right? I mean, so many movies set in Texas about Texas history or Texas characters or get tons of great actors, actresses, directors, writers uh, from Texas. So best Texas movie, however you... Uh, choose to define that, 210-599-5555. Gilbert writes, Jack at KTSA.com. I was going to say No Country for Old Men, but you beat me to the punch. So my second answer is Hell or High Water, says Gilbert. Um, here's one. Alan says Hope Floats. Um, Outlaw Josie Wales, says Edward. A lot of, lot of, um, a lot of Westerns uh, getting mentioned, obviously. 210-599-5555, and Mark is on the radio. Mark, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. So I wanted to throw a movie out there about uh, the last day of high school in 1976 called Dazed Day- and Confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matthew there you go. got to start on that one. There you go with, yeah. with future governor Matthew McConaughey. Here's a, here's a scene from Dazed and Confused. Let me tell you what Melvin Post is packing right here. Right, I've got 411 Posse Track out back, 750 Double Pumper, Edelbrock Intakes, Ford Over 30, 11 to 1 Pop-Up Pistons, Turbojet, 390 horsepower. We're talking some muscle. Hey, man, I know you got this thing out of a comic book. I saw the ad, 295. It's right next to the Sea Monkeys, man. You see that over there? That's white light. <laughs> see the shoes on that thing? You got to get some tires for this. These are pizza cutters, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. How you doing? Pretty good. Cool. You heard about the party being busted, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to worry. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. It's out at the Moon Tower. Full kegs. <laughs> Everybody's going to be there. You ought to go. Okay. Okay, we'll be there. Okay. I will see you there. All right? Bye. I love those redheads, Has to make the list. 210-599-5555. Robin writes to Jack at KTSA.com. Giant is the best Texas movie and one of the best ever made. It also used local people in the film, a big, lavish Hollywood star, a movie with big movie stars. Only a Texan can truly understand the open landscape, the blue skies. And oil is the fossil fuel that made Texas what it is today. Well said. I remember, I've, I really loved, I saw it way before I moved to Texas and um, loved Giant when I saw it. Maybe I understand it a little bit more. Here's a scene from Giant. Hello, Jet. 
What do you want? My welcome in, babe. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Why, that's wonderful, Jane. <laughs> Everybody thought I had a duster? Y'all thought old Spindle Topmo Burke Burnett was all the oil was, didn't you? Well, I'm here to tell you it ain't, boy. It's here. And there ain't a dang thing you're gonna do about it. My well came in big, so big, big, and there's more down there, and there's bigger wells. Rich, baby. I'm a rich I'm a rich boy. Me, I'm gonna have more money than you ever thought you could have. Can't see him in a Tesla, can you? I don't see that happening. Uh, was that about 1956, Don? Something like that? Mid 50s, late 50s, something like that? Yeah. Uh, 210 599 5555. Best Texas movie. What gets your vote? Woody is on KTSA. Hi, Woody. Hey, Jack. So for me, it's going to be Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove. Robert Duvall. Yep, another epic cattle drive from Texas. Absolutely. Um, Robert Duvall is one of those people, he's in a lot of great movies, and I think he makes good movies even better, you know? He does. I'll, I'll tell you, I grew up watching the spaghetti westerns and, of course, watching uh, Clint Eastwood and The Duke, you know, but I, I really enjoyed Lonesome Dove as a yeah. fairly new, a new western, I would call it. It's right. really well done. Yeah, that's a great choice, Woody. Thank you. Appreciate the call. We had a, I remember years ago, we had a, um, a call in the dish, and I forget which restaurant it was. It was, it was a restaurant downtown. And, you know, it might have been, it might have been, uh, Bohannon's on, on Houston Street, but it was a zing for the restaurant because the caller felt he had been ignored. He had gone there with his wife or his girlfriend or what have you and he didn't feel like he got good service he felt like the whole restaurant was distracted get this because robert duvall was in the restaurant so anybody else would think what was so cool we went to dinner last night and robert duvall was there this guy's take was i didn't have a good experience because they weren't paying attention to me because robert duvall was there that's i think you're missing the i think you're missing the memo there all right, 210-599-5555, best Texas movie, and Tim is on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Tim. The Searchers with John Wayne. Oh, there you go. Is that the one that, um, I'm trying to remember which, uh, is that the movie that had the controversy about the people in it got cancer later on, or am I thinking of a different John Wayne movie? You're thinking of the different I'm thinking of The Wayne Conqueror. Is- yeah, this one had him just got back from the Civil War. Yeah. His niece got abducted by Indians, and he got went out with the Rangers trying to find her, and him and a nephew that was a half-breed went searching the entire time and finally found her at, when she was like 15 years older. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember it now, and that is a great one. Um, I think The Conqueror was the one where they filmed it near uh, the nuclear test site in Nevada, and a lot of the people in the movie got cancer. But, Tim, great one. Great one, definitely, The Searchers. Um, that was just on TCM pretty recently, as a matter of fact. You know what I'm surprised nobody's mentioned yet? 
I would have thought would have been one of the first movies mentioned because it's more recent, it's fresher in our memories, is Friday Night Lights. Which to me, again, if you've never been to Texas and you don't know anything about what high school football means, especially in small towns, really even in the big cities, um, that that movie and the book that it's based on um, are, are fantastic. And I think we have a scene from the movie Friday Night Lights. Time has run out in the first half, and Coach Gary Gaines and his mojo cats trail Carter by 26 to 7. What in the hell happened on that right. three? You understand that? 40 yards? Hell no! Yeah, yeah. Pop, 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 pop! That's what I want. All of you around that ball. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all play like some little girls. Y'all like y'all never played football before. These guys are nothing. You hear me? They please just like we do. They sweat just like we do. Do you hear me? They went through tour days. We went through tour days in 110 degree heat. Yes, this is our team. This is us. Let's go right now. Let's get it off now. Let's go. All right, I'm ready to go play. <laughs> I'm ready to run through a wall for that guy. 210-599-5555. Jennifer writes to Jack at KTSA.com. The Love Punch. It's not set in Texas, but two of the main characters disguise themselves as Texans, and it's hilarious how they act. Rich from Big Oil, Big Hair, Accents, Boots, Cowboy Hat. Funny, great movie, uh, writes Jennifer. Uh, what do you think the best movie about, based in, referring to Texas is? David is on KTSA. Hi, David. Hey there, Jack. What about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... That is such a classic. I've always thought, though, if you think about it, it it says Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but you really could have taken that story and put it anywhere, right? That's true. I think that was. I wonder if they used Texas because it just kind of sounded good. With, I mean, it sounded better than you know, Missouri Chainsaw Massacre, right? That's right. Right. That is a great movie. And isn't that the one that the backstory of it is that the the actors in it are mostly uh either amateur or you know kind of like they made it on a shoestring budget. That's why the people in it are not name actors and actresses. I do believe that is true. I also think it was a college project of the University of UT. As yeah. part of their project, the kids, uh, I do believe that's a low-budget film in that regard. <laughs> so, pretty yeah. neat story. It's definitely, it, it, it definitely belongs on the list. It's also one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best horror movies, if you're, if you're talking that category, uh, ever. Day news time is 6.35. This half hour we'll have the results on the JR poll. And we're talking about Texas movies. The best Texas movie, in your opinion. And it can be about Texas. It can be a story set in Texas. It can allude to, refer to, have some fun with Texas. It can have Texas stars in it. 210-599-5555. Jerry says, how about Cloak and Dagger? I had forgotten about that. Um, Abraham says his favorite is The Junction Boys, which is another football movie. Uh, here's another mention of uh, Giant, James Dean, Rock Hudson, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, good one. Thank you for that. 
Uh, Norma says, and here's one we, we haven't heard mentioned yet. Norma says, what about the movie that introduced us to Deborah Winger, Urban Cowboy? And I think we have a scene from Urban Cowboy. Sissy, get out of here, bud. I mean it. I got to talk to you. Look, Wes is in Gillies and we're leaving. I know you're leaving. But I just want to tell you something. I'm hard-headed. And I'm prideful. And I want to apologize clear back to when I hit you the first time. I love you, sissy. I love you, too. <laughs> Look, sissy, I didn't know you came to the trailer that day. If, 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 if I had known that, I, I'd have called you, but you tore up that note. You can ride that damn bull anytime I don't you want. want. Mm. I mean, John Travolta was a big deal, but that accent... <sighs> <laughs> Are you hearing it? I mean, I don't know. It's a New York twain. He's yeah. He's like a block off of Brooklyn, you know. Um, you, you know, it reminds me of uh, this uh, kind of off the subject, but I'm a college football fan, and it was a big deal when uh, Louisiana State University hired um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The the Notre Dame coach Kelly. And um, he went down there, and they had, like, a big welcoming rally. And he did this faux southern accent. I think, didn't we play that at the time, Don, when that came out in the news? I think we did. It was like, a, you know, a, a pep rally for the new coach and the new era at LSU. And, 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 and I love LSU, but this guy went in there and tried to do, I mean, he's a northern guy, and for some reason he tried to do this this southern accent that was rough it's hard to do i mean i'm not saying i can do it but if you can't do it i guess don't do it right 210 599 55 all right best texas movie and brent is on the radio hi brent how you doing jack thanks for taking my call that's like hillary clinton with the hot sauce in her purse <laughs> that's right. um uh the best movie i think was uh the first academy award uh winner for best picture was wings uh, 1928 or 29, it was filmed at Kelly. Uh, it's a silent movie. And if you, if anybody's got any time to waste on a Friday night or Saturday, you should watch that movie. It's, it's, it's a great, great movie. And it was filmed at Kelly. Uh, hundreds of people, uh, uh, got signed on to the movie as extras. They had World War One, actual World War One pilots, uh, doing all the, uh, uh, maneuvers in the film so that's that's something you should check out it's a great movie yeah I, you know i i have that's that's a movie you hear about all the time and it's such a big part of movie history i've never i have actually never seen it i need to i need to watch it and i think i think you that. are right i think that was the your first academy award yeah it was for uh, best picture and i've tried to find it at uh like cd ex- or dvd exchange i can't find it um but it's it's a great movie. My sister's husband, they live out in L.A. He's a, a movie buff, and he turned me on to it like 20 years ago. It's a great movie. So if you ever got a Friday night or Saturday night, yep. try watching that. It's a great movie. There you movie. go. Very good. Thank, Thank you, Brent. You. Wings, one of the earliest uh, Hollywood movies. 210-599-5555. Talking about best Texas movie, and Patrick is on the radio. Hi, Patrick. How you doing? Uh one of my favorite Texas movies was Secondhand Lions with Robert Duvall and Michael Caine. Oh, man, you're right. 
You are right. They're both so good in that. That movie has two classic scenes in it. The first one is when they go, they're eating in the cafe and these boys come in and they give them some life lessons. Mm -hmm. And the other one is at the end of the movie where they crash the biplane upside down into the barn. I'll tell you what, if that could have been a so-so movie, I think those two elevated it. You know, they, they took it up. That's exactly correct. Yeah, that is a great one. Secondhand Lions is a, is a, is a fantastic movie. It's a movie the whole family can watch. That's a good one. Uh, 210-599-5555. Kay is on the radio. Hi, Kay. Okay, we might have lost K along the way here. Edward mentions one. I can't believe we didn't have this one sooner. Miss Congeniality. Not only Texas, but San Antonio. You know, when I was thinking about great um, Texas movies, and I was thinking of uh, the obvious ones, um, we've mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Last Picture Show, Giant, Friday Night Lights. Um, You could technically say that Office Space is a Texas movie. Because the um, some of the scenes are shot in Texas, and the cubicles, the office cubicles in office space, were the old Ken's Five television office cubicles. It's either that, or I may have it backwards. It may be that Ken's Five bought the cubicles from the movie company and then used them. But there's a Ken's Five connection to you know every scene in that movie where the unhappy office drones are lamenting their life and hating it and working for this company, and I believe you took my stapler and all that stuff. It's a crazy movie. Um, it's a movie where, you, unexpectedly, you have Jennifer Aniston, too. Kind of like, what's she doing in here? But, uh, yeah, there's a there's a Texas connection to office space. Um, you know, I'm kind of surprised nobody mentioned Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I know we've we've all forgotten about Pee-wee, maybe, maybe for the best, but that has that, you know, hilarious basement of the Alamo uh subplot to it so what are some other great texas movies 210-599-5555 um people are mentioning bonnie and clyde on my email which is another one i i thought we would have probably heard sooner um and what about blood simple that's one of my favorite suspense movies um it's just you know it's eerie and it's uh edgier see it's a dark one it's dark yeah i mean it's dark but um maybe that says more about me that that you guys aren't thinking of it, and I'm thinking of it. But you almost want to give away the ending. I'm a, I'm a dark guy. Yeah, don't give away the ending of Blood Simple, but you should watch it. Is that Ed Harris? Who's in, who's in? I'm trying to think who's in Blood Simple. Oh, I can't think of the actor's name. I don't think it's Ed Harris. I'm thinking of another movie. Not Ed Harris. Then when you start talking about movies, you start. I don't know if you do this or not. When I start talking about or thinking about movies, I find I'm often like uh, you know combining the cast from this one with the plot from that one or. Uh, or or what have you, um, yeah. The guy I the, I'm picturing the guy um, Dan Hadaya is who it is. He's the um, he's the guy that that like owns the the bar, you know. And you've got Francis McDormand and a bunch of other people. That's that is a that is a crazy good movie. That was from the Cohen Brothers, right? I believe so. I think you're right. Uh, 210-599-5555. Frank is next as we're talking about best Texas movies. Hi, Frank. Hey, uh, Jack. Uh, actually, uh, a gentleman just before me talked about Secondhand Lions. So 
that was that was my uh, movie. I, uh, some others that got mentioned earlier kind of stole it away, and uh, that's great. Uh, Secondhand Lions, but you know uh, there is another John Wayne movie, uh, Red River, and, yeah. and uh, this this was one of uh, John Wayne's first, uh, not first, but really uh, movies that you know, Cal Drive. Uh, Going from Texas to Kansas, which was very critical in in the formation of Texas in that time, and and and, and I, I still watch it over and over because my wife thinks I'm crazy. But but um, you know those movies like that, talking about the early days of Texas, is very interesting and very uh, fun to watch. An incredible uh, cast too. You got John Wayne, you had Montgomery Clift. I think uh, I think Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan's yeah. in it. You know, Walter, Walter Brennan. Brennan. Yeah, just like this. Yeah. Montgomery Cliff went on to play in many other Western movies mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. later on. And, of course, he played like his adopted son, you know, John Wayne. And, and of mm-hmm. course, they had some, uh, uh, you know, difference of opinion and, and moving the they cattle. They that fight and, scene that's really something. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. And, you know, just the country, the countryside and, and yep. moving the cattle across the, uh, the Red River, I, I think that's the uh, – Quintessential Texas. There you go. Very good. That's a great choice, Frank. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Um, kind of surprised no one's mentioned Selena. Maybe it. Maybe it's like right under our nose, so we're not thinking of it because it's very San Antonio and very Corpus. And uh, but I think we have a scene here from the movie Selena. You can't tell us what to do. I can tell you anything I want to tell you. You don't think I know who you are? I come from the streets. I know what a bum musician is. Dad, don't talk to him like that. I can say anything I want to say to him. I'm not going to have this in my family. Now, let's just get one thing straight. You're not to see each other like this again. I'm not agreeing to anything. Okay, you can't tell me who I can and can't... Selena, you wait! You're going to ruin your career. You're going to ruin your life. You're only 20 years old. Give yourself some time. Dad, I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter, okay? I love him, and that's it. What did you say? I said... I love him. And he loves me, too. Of course he does. You're young, you're beautiful, and you're rich. Yeah, you would say that. It's not like that. He cares about me. The real me. Inside. And there is no way I'm going to let you take that away. I'm going to say it, and I know it's not a popular position. I think Jennifer Lopez is a pretty good actress. I really do. I know that... Most people would first think of her as a singer. I would, too. Um, but uh, when I've seen her act, and not just in Selena, but some other things, I, I think she's pretty good. I, think, I don't think she... I'm sure she gets the role because she's famous, but I think she acquits herself pretty well as an actress, in my opinion. Um, do you agree or disagree with Uvalde firing uh, the chief, Arredondo? 100% agree with that. We'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at ktsa.com, and you can find uh, whole episodes of this show available anytime you want them. Uh, Do your listening on the weekends or at night or in the morning. Uh, Just go to ktsa.com and find the Jack Riccardi page at ktsa.com. 210-599-5555, best Texas movies, what we've been talking about, and Steve is on the radio. Hi, Steve. Hello, yes. uh, Redheaded Stranger, Willie Mm. Nelson. Willie Nelson. There you go. There's another guy who, you know, I know he gets the roles because he's Willie Nelson, but Willie Nelson can act a little bit, can he? Yeah, I was really surprised that he, he's a good actor. Yeah. yeah. No, no, he can do it. Yeah, I guess there's I guess too. there's a lot of the same talents in putting across a song and 
putting across uh, lines of a script. You know, somebody else wrote them for you, and you got to make people believe that you mean them. So that's a good one, Steve. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Travis is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Travis. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Uh, I was thinking of the movie Apollo 13. Man, I hadn't even thought of that, but sure, that has all kinds of Texas in it. Yep, Houston, Houston we, we have a problem. A line. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the most that's probably the most overused out of context movie line I can think of, right? Everybody uses that for everything now, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um and but then I don't know if anybody movie. mentioned it, but uh the Alamo. Yes. Yeah, we've had a couple of mentions of the Alamo and that definitely that definitely belongs on any list. Travis, thank you. Appreciate your call. Uh, Dean is on KTSA. Hi, Dean. How you doing, Jack? Hey, Dean. Uh, so the movie I was thinking of was a movie that came out in the 90s uh, called Love in a 45, which was uh, the first time I ever saw Renee Zellweger in anything. Oh, yeah. It had Gil Bellows, who was on Ally McBeal afterwards, and had Rory Cochran, who was the dude wearing the brown T-shirt and long hair in... Um, yeah. Uh, what was that movie with Matthew McConaughey and everybody else? Uh, uh, but uh, Rory Cochran played this guy, Billy Mac Black, who was yeah. a speed freak, and these guys were chasing him around. Uh, there was also a Peter Fonda cameo in the movie. Okay. It was just a movie. It was right around the time of uh, the uh, that murderous movie with... Um, Mickey and Mallory, the uh No. Oh, you lose it you're losing me now. That one I don't know. I don't remember that one. But Dean, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you very much. Those are good choices. Um thanks to everybody that called on this and um I'll let you know. We'll probably get a lot of email about it tonight and we'll read back some of those tomorrow. I had a chance to see John Rich. I'm not a big country music guy, but I do like John Rich a lot. And he was on with uh that uh podcast that Tucker Carlson does. And he was telling the story of his new hit. He has a new song that's actually number one on the country charts. And he came up with the idea for it and did it outside the record industry. So he made this song kind of on his own and pulling in some favors from people in the industry. Didn't go through the normal channels. But this song has resonated with a lot of uh, people. And um, I want to play it for you tonight. It's a big hit. It's from the heart, um, and it's um, about what's happening in our country today. So we'll leave you tonight with the number one hit from country music megastar John Rich, and he's singing about the times we're living in. I'll see you back here tomorrow. There's a hole in this country where it's hard used to be. No glory is divided on the firing street. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your bigness away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, but we'd all be just fine. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine.
Take your progress with the sun, don't shine. 